Wonder, curiosity, connection. Where will your adventures take you? I'm Dr. Diane, and thank you for joining me on today's episode of Adventures in Learning. Hi, welcome to the Adventures in Learning podcast. I am your host, Dr. Diane, and today we have an especially spooky um, guest with us. We're going to be talking to Sierra Birch, who is the author of the just published Finch House, which I have to tell you all, I read in a day and I thought it was incredibly spooky and it was warm and wonderful, and I highly recommend you run out and grab it. So Sierra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So this is your book birthday. Um, This is your very first book that's out. Is that correct? It is, yes. Can you share a little bit about Finch House? Tell the readers what it's about and what inspired you with the creation of these just fascinating characters? Sure, of course. Um, so Finch House is about a little girl named Micah, um, who discovers uh, a recently renovated um, old Victorian house uh, in a neighborhood near hers that she's always never been allowed to go to. Um, but when her grandfather goes missing, uh, she decides to check it out just to see if he's there. Um, and it turns out once she's inside the house, she will leave. Um, and, you know, there's been so many inspirations for it, but actually... Um, one of the big ones was my own pop-up, my grandfather, um, his basement. Um, it's always been a very uh, sort of spooky place. Um, uh, and the door is always open, but it's just always pitch black down there. It was just like these steps leading straight down. And of course, if you turn on the light, it's perfectly fine. Normal basement. <laughs> but um, as a kid, it never seemed like that. And even sometimes as an adult, if you like go into the kitchen and it's dark and the door is just open, <laughs> it can always be very creepy that was my initial inspiration i just wanted to think of you know okay what if this wasn't actually just a normal basement (laughs) well and i loved the idea that finch house contained secrets that it connects micah's family past and present um you know that she's connected to the boy theo who has just moved in and has to live in finch house um that would be a very scary place to live. And I sort of was wondering, where did these <laughs> yeah. characters come from? You talked about Pop Pop. Um, was Micah a little bit like Sierra? Oh, no. Micah's much uh, braver than I. <laughs> um, I don't think I would ever do half of the things that she did. or like, you know, go forward deeper into the house. I would definitely have just gone back to my own house. I wouldn't have gone into the house to begin with, maybe. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Micah, <laughs> I have a lot of, uh, little girl cousins and, um, you know, I think, I don't know what it is about like newer generations, but just seem a little bit braver than I am perhaps, or maybe it's just my cousin's personality. Um, but she's sort of like an amalgamation of all of them and like my little sisters. And also she just sort of came into my head pretty fully fledged. Um, once I had an idea of sort of like a haunted house, um, she came along pretty quickly as like a, it's a little girl who wanted to explore haunted house, um, but also really wanted to find and protect like her family in terms of some yeah, Well, and I loved the spookiness of it. It's just spooky enough that it makes you jump, but it's not so spooky that it puts it out of reach of those middle grade readers. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that was really important to me to find a good balance, um, especially because personally, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. <laughs> and so Same. I like a good, like, spooky atmosphere book, but I don't want to be like, you know, having nightmares or afraid to turn off the lights. Um, and so it was important to me to find a good balance, especially for, you know, younger kids um, to not, you know, scare anyone too much. <laughs> And I'm not going to spoil the ending, but it felt like you left yourself open to potentially write more adventures for Micah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love writing Micah, and I'd be more than happy to write more adventures for her, especially because um, everything that she goes through really leads to um, an interesting journey for her personally, I think. Um, But also, I just really love a good, ambiguous ending. Um, Like, I don't think, I like, you know, perfect happy ever after, or like, terrible disaster I like it to be right um in the middle and i think most of real life is and i think it can feel more realistic in that sense as much as you can you know with haunted houses and go well and i loved the open-endedness of it because it sort of allowed the reader to um to decide a little bit about what they thought might happen next and i thought that was very cool thank you yeah i love when I get to read a book like that. And so I sort of wanted to try and give that experience to other readers. So would you be willing to read a favorite passage for us from your book? Yeah, of course. So many bookmarks in here <laughs> to read. And I'll go to one of my favorite non-spoiler <laughs> chapters. Yeah, okay. Um, so this is not one of my favorite parts. It's actually going to be on chapter six. Um, it's around page 57 or so. It was dark inside, and it was empty of ghosts. Empty of everything, really, except a few half-rolled sleeping bags crammed into the corner farthest from the door. In the middle of the room, though, there was a staircase. At least, she assumed it was. There was a railing and an open space leading down into deeper darkness. But Micah hadn't seen another staircase in the house besides the one they'd taken to get upstairs, and Theo hadn't mentioned one. I'm not going down there. Theo's voice was quiet but firm. He peered over Micah's shoulder with a frown. Why not? He shifted his frown from the stairs to her. Because it's a weird staircase in a creepy room, and I just told you that I heard voices from down there. Right. That made sense. Except she was curious. It was like pins and needles in her fingers, traveling up her arms and throughout the rest of her body like electricity. Yes, she knew it was probably a bad idea. A really bad idea. But don't you want to know where it goes? Theo shuffled back farther into the safety of the attic. Not really. But what if there's like a whole other room down there? Nope. What if there's a weird dungeon? Even more of a reason why we couldn't go down. What about buried treasure? You're really going to miss out on gold and jewelry because you're scared? Okay, so she was reaching. But she really, really needed to know. Every new scenario she came up with, however unlikely, only made her eager for the truth. Uh, Joey Sapke. I love that passage. You In that one passage, you really you. capture those characters. And I'm realizing I'm way more like Theo than Micah. I'd love to think I'd be like Micah, but... <laughs> I think I'm siding with Theo on this one. For sure, yeah. He has the right idea. I think so, too. 
So as a debut novelist, you've been getting to travel and promote your book. You were at Politics and Prose recently where you got to talk about your book with Kwame Alexander. How was that? It was great. Um, I was really nervous <laughs> just because I'm a little bit of a nervous person, but he's great. Um, I worked for his imprint um, up until this past April or so, um, and so I'd gotten to know him a little bit. But that was only the second time that we met in person. Um, so it was really nice. It was very personable, of course. Um, he asked great questions. Um, and it was so great. Like, I don't think I could have asked for a better <laughs> book birthday or debut launch than the one that I had. Well, what a very cool launch for you. So, Sierra, I want to wind back a little bit and start with the question that I always ask my guests, which is, tell us about your adventures in learning. How did you become the writer you are today? On your um, on your webpage, which I want people to go and take a look at, you talk about you've always been a lifelong writer and a lifelong ice cream eater. How did those two things come <laughs> together to shape this book? Yeah, of course. Um, so I've always been... A big reader, you know, my mom really instilled that in me growing up. She was a big reader. Um, and so a lot of the time, uh, it was, you know, if it was time for quiet time or she wanted some alone time, she'd just be like, oh, go read a book. <laughs> um, and I was perfectly happy to do so. Sometimes we, you know, read together, um, sitting on the couch or something. Um, and, you know, not everyone loves doing homework all the time, but my mom was good at like, you know, this is the time for homework and this is the time when you can, you know, have fun or have some free time, do what you like. And then if you've done your homework correctly and like we've gone over everything together, then maybe you can, you know, have some ice cream. <laughs> um, because I've always been a big ice cream lover. Um, and that was a very good incentive <laughs> for me. Um, of course, uh, eventually over time, I learned, you know, can't get ice cream for you know, getting every perfect homework assignment or something. But oh it God. was a nice sort of motivator. I know. <laughs> but it was a good sort of motivator. It's like, okay, if I can do the thing uh, that might seem hard or that I'm struggling with and I can ask for help with that um, or I can just do what um, I'm good at and get through that and learn it as best as I can. Then, you know, maybe there's a reward, but even if there's not, Sometimes the reward is having that finish and getting to do um, your own free time next, which was usually writing. Um, and so I've always really, reading and writing has always gone sort of hand in hand. You know, English and literature were my favorite subjects, along with like social studies and history, because both of those also had a lot of reading. Um, I think anything that sort of could be made into a story, you know, with, with history facts, um, you know, learning all about the past, or sometimes even the pretty um, near past, um, I always thought like, you know, wasn't thinking of actual historical figures as characters, but because something was like different from my own world, I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. Like, I, I would love to know how they did that or, you know, the times of kings and queens or anything um, that sort of caught my interest through storytelling. Um, with math and science, it was a little harder. Science was a little better because, you know, there can be storytelling through the way the body works and how animals are born and how, you know, the whole world um, very much interacts, which I think was fun. Um, math was always a little difficult for me because it didn't have a storytelling element in my mind, uh, but that just meant I had to work a little bit harder at it if I did want to my <laughs> Understood. And so you went to American University for your undergrad. Go Eagles. I'm also an AU um, alum. And <laughs> I saw Eagles. that you went to Emerson for your um, master's. 
what did those two experiences do in terms of shaping your writing as an adult today? Oh, absolutely. They did so much. I was originally actually an international relations major when I went to American, um, as one is, because that's sort of their main thing. Um, but I took, <laughs> but I took a creative writing course, uh, my second semester of freshman year with this professor called, uh, Melissa Scholes Young. And she was just wonderful. I loved her. Um, she made me realize that like, you know, writing could actually be like a career and something that I didn't have to just only do for fun. Um, if it, if it interested me, you know. And as soon as I finished that class and, and got to have that wonderful experience with her, I went to my advisor and was like, actually, can I change to be a literature major, please? Um, and that was a brilliant decision because I just had literature as like a smaller major at AU. But it, because of that, I think you get, you get so much more personalized attention. Um, I got to work with David Kesslinger, who's a wonderful poet, um, which I don't write poetry, but it really opened up my eyes and my mind to like, sparse prose and like how you can do so much um with fewer words which is great because i tend to ramble both in writing <laughs> and in speech um and it was really helpful for me to know like when to cut things down and then with emerson i actually got a full fellowship um which was wonderful um and very helpful of course um and I had brilliant brilliant professors there i wrote my thesis there which is actually um the basis for my YA and I, I really got to learn how to take um, criticism and not take it to heart, but, you know, were incorporated into my writing in a way that was, you know, very helpful because you want to read your, your writing and think, oh, this is the best. And then maybe another day it's like, oh, this is not quite the best. But you don't want to think that anything changed, even though you know it does. And I think being at Emerson and having so many eyes on the work and just having to share in general made me more open to the possibility of sharing it with people and um, and not just keeping it to myself as something like super precious. Um, and I got to really learn a lot about like editing and critique um, from everyone at Emerson. And you said you had worked with Kwame's um, imprint. Is that part of sort of your cycle of how you've gotten to where you are as well? Um, yes, I think so a little bit. Uh, I interned when I was in uh, my first year in grad school, I interned at HMH, uh, which is called in Michelin Harcourt, uh, which got uh, merged into Harper Collins more recently. But I interned there. And then I, when the internship was over, I was a book fellow for a while. And then right at the beginning of 2020, um, I was offered a job with my former boss, who was Kwame's editor, Margaret Raymel. And she said, yeah, Kwame's opening this new imprint. And we really thought of you and it'd be great. She could come work for us and be our editorial assistant. So of course I said, yes. <laughs> um, and it was really great to have Kwame on board. So I got to see sort of how he worked with his own work, but also how he approached like bringing books on board under the imprint and getting to see all the different facets of publishing from the inside was really fun and helpful, especially for when I decided, okay, being published is something that I actually want to do. And you have a second book that's due out in 2024. Is that correct? I do. Yes. It's a YA uh, called Something Kindred. And that's the one that started as my master's thesis actually a few years ago. And it's been a real fun time shaping it into something that's not a thesis and now a novel. And what's it about? 
Uh, it's about a girl who moves to rural Maryland with her mother um, to help care for her dying estranged grandmother um, and comes to terms with a lot of family secrets and more ghosts um, and a blossoming crush. Sounds intriguing. Um, are ghosts going to be in all of our Sierra <laughs> Birch books? <laughs> you know, I would love to. Uh, <laughs> no one gets bored of all my ghosts. Um, I don't know. I'm working on some things now that don't have ghosts in them, but still have a sort of creepy factor. Um, and I do love ghosts, so they'll probably appear in most of my work. <laughs> so you talked about your love of reading and writing started with your mom. And I was thinking mm -hmm. about what were some of the books that influenced you when you were little? What are the ones that you remember as sort of go-tos? Oh, for sure. Um, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred B. Taylor is probably my favorite book of all time. Well, favorite series, but especially that first book. Um, and the first time I, I think I read it in eight or nine and it was the first time I'd ever really seen um, a main character like me and like my family and even though it's set in the past um, I really deeply connected to it and I realized like oh I need more books like this where the characters look like me and maybe act like my family um, and that was something that really made me want to write too where it's like oh I can also write characters that look like me um, definitely uh, Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson series I was I think maybe 11 or 12 when they started to come out and I really was very much into Greek mythology um, in my social studies classes and so I was like oh, this is perfect you know it's like in the real world I'm still very much a Percy Jackson fan also all the spin-off series I own all of them and Bridge to Terabithia that was the first book that is like oh this can happen like this wow like <laughs> I think the big emotional catharsis at the end of that book was something I experienced for the first time, like in reading, especially a kid's book. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure how to handle this. Um, and there are so many others. There are a lot of picture books too. Um, there's one picture book called I'll Love You Forever um, that I used to read with my grandmother and that was always very like, sweet and emotional to me. Um, and I could just blab on and on about books. Well, <laughs> go right ahead. I, I love it. And as you were thinking, um, I was thinking about Percy Jackson. Um, I love every one of the books you've listed, but have you seen the spinoffs that his imprint is doing where he's bringing in other writers and they're doing mythology from around the world and from different cultures? Yes, I have. I love them. It's like a really great idea in a way to like really incorporate diversity and the mythology of other cultures. I secretly really want to be one of the writers for one. but I was kind we'll of wishing that into existence for you as you were saying <laughs> that, because I love that imprint, and I could see your voice fitting beautifully in sort of that storytelling <laughs> world. So, uh, Rick, if you're listening, we think Sierra should be one of your writers. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> you know... Um, Something else you said sort of got me thinking as well. When you talked about Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, um, I currently work with students at Shenandoah and at UVA, and I work with teachers around the country. And one of the things that we talk about that's so important is this idea of windows and mirrors, um, which Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop pioneered mm -hmm. in the 1990s, that it's critical that kids see themselves in all of their possibilities, not just the single story, but also, so that would be the mirror, and then have these windows into other people's experiences and other people's cultures. And so I love the fact that you kind of brought that up as being one of your driving connections for writing. Um, 
does it create extra pressure for you? If, do you feel like you're having to write to sort of hold up these windows and mirrors for kids like you who might not have had those growing up? creates extra pressure. Um, I think it just creates extra motivation. Um, I think it's it's an important thing to be able to see yourself in all types of media um, and to see people who are not like you so that you can better learn empathy and learn to relate to people. Um, and I think, you know, anything that I write, it's probably going to have uh, a black or brown main character because it's important to me personally. Um, and so I don't think it's too much pressure sometimes it feels like you know i should write a certain thing or a character a certain way um but i don't i try to make my characters as human as possible and i try to write um what i want to write <laughs> for the most part and hope that others will come to it because it's something that they can relate to or just something that they're interested in well and i think that you write with such an engaging voice that it's so easy to become captivated within your story. And I'm looking forward to seeing how teachers pick up Finch House and start using it, hopefully for read-alouds. But I could see all kinds of spinoff writing assignments. I could see um, STEM and STEAM connections as well, where perhaps they try to illuminate the dark or find a way to help the characters escape the house. I mean, there are all kinds of cool challenges you could do with it. Um, So I hope that it will become one of those books that teachers are using in their classroom to hold up windows and mirrors as well. Wow, thank you. I hope so too. That'd be great. So what are the biggest joys that come from being a writer? Are you able to do this as a full-time job now or is it a side job? I am able to do this as a full-time job now. It has been strange and really wonderful and I'm really grateful and lucky that I get to do that. Um, I think a lot of the joys is, you know, I just get to make things up (laughs) for a living. And I think that's something that as a child, I always just dreamed of, you know, I'm talking my mom's ear off about some story or another. Um, it's, it's something that I've always, it's, you know, it's very fun to tell people stories and to write them down. Um, and I think that that's something that will bring me infinite joy forever, even when the writing is hard. Um, I think having people be able to actually read those stories <laughs> has been really great um, and to get the word out there. Um, and, to, and I think one of the joys too has been working with the team that I have. They're great. My editor, Kate, is wonderful. I couldn't have asked for a better editor. Um, same with my publicist, Alex. They're all just really wonderful people. Um, and I love that I've gotten to meet them through our shared love of storytelling uh, and their love of my work, which feels really surreal, but <laughs> really great. And what are your hopes for the future? Oh, you know, um, I hope for the future, honestly, that I get to keep writing, that my book reaches people, you know, beyond the United States and into the world. Hopefully, uh, maybe gets translated into some other languages. Um, and yeah, just mostly to keep telling me stories that I want to tell um, without fear that the kids and the people who need them won't be able to reach them. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Adventures in Learning podcast today. You have been such a delight. And folks, Finch House is out this month. Go get a copy. You are going to love this book. It's perfect. It's spooky. And it's a great one to read aloud in October in your classes as we gear up towards Halloween. Thank you so much for having me. It was great.
Are you tired of same old, same old professional development experiences? Check out what recent workshop participants have to say about doing a workshop with Dr. Diane's Adventures in Learning. Great hands-on session that included real ideas to incorporate in the classroom. Wonderful. Lots of great ideas and fun science experiments. It was great to be able to see how to make connections between the stories and science. If you are looking to raise your game and have a professional development experience that will leave your educators feeling rejuvenated and ready to directly apply ideas into their classrooms, reach out to Dr. Diane's Adventures in Learning. We offer half and full day workshops that examine ways to build connections between multicultural picture books and STEM STEAM experiences for gains across the curriculum. All programs can be tailored to your specific needs, so find out what audiences across the country have been experiencing. Check out Dr. Diane's Adventures in Learning at www.drdianeadventures.com. We hope to be in your school soon. You've been listening to the Adventures in Learning podcast with your host, Dr. Diane. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, download, and let us know what you think, and please tell a friend. If you want the full show notes and the pictures, please go to drdianeadventures.com. We look forward to you joining us on our next adventure.